Good morning, everyone. You can hear me all right. Um, <clears throat> just before I begin, I want to comment on a couple of songs we sang in the meeting. Uh, one of them we sang, Love Vast as the Ocean. And there's a verse in there which says, You have sanctified me, which is a long, old-fashioned word. And just to let you know that the word sanctified means set apart for a special purpose. So when you read this long, posh word, sanctified, it means set apart for a special purpose. And I just want to say, I was reminded as we were singing of um, something we talked about in India. This guy held up his drink bottle. It was a water bottle. And he said, he said, this is my water bottle. It's only for me to drink from. Only I drink from it. It's only got water in it. I never put Coke in it. I never put curry in it. I never put soup in it. It's just for fresh drinking water and it's set apart for water and it's set apart just for me. And he said, this is my drinking bottle. And I just want to say that it is God's heart that you become set apart for him. Especially for Jesus. Like the drinking bottle is just for that person. God's heart is that you, a bit of echo, are set apart for Jesus. That doesn't mean you become a monk or a nun, <laughs> but it just means your, your whole life is really for him to use. And I don't know if that <clears throat> challenges you, but it does me. Up. Okay, right. Another thing we sang uh, in the songs was, uh, Yes, Lord, do you remember that song? Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Well, um, I was reminded of uh, a few people in the Bible who said, uh, No, Lord. <laughs> um, I won't turn you to it, but there was a man in the Bible called Lot. And he was in a city that was going to be destroyed by God. It was a, a sink of iniquity. It really was a bad place. I won't go into the details. And God had decided that after waiting many, many years, this city had to be destroyed. And the angels got hold of Lot and were taking him out. And they said, you've got to run to that mountain over there. And he turned around and he said, no, Lord. No, Lord. Um, you can't really say that, otherwise he's not your Lord. You can't say no, Lord. Um, I was reminded of a guy called Saul, King Saul. He disobeyed God, and someone said to him, you know, what, Samuel said to him, what are you doing? And he said, um, oh, I'm, I'm doing this for the Lord, your God. He didn't say the Lord, my God. He said the Lord, your God. So he was really saying, God is not my Lord. Well, just keep that in your minds. I, I want to get onto the subject now. My subject today is, is this. It's let God be God. Let God be God. Now, that might sound a bit odd. I'll try and explain. But first, I'm going to show you a visual aid. You see, I've got a hole in my wrist. <laughs> um, this was not caused by a nail. It was caused by me taking the pulpit home, trying to fix it, because last week, Mark and I were away. The pulpit fell apart. 
in the meeting. So I took it home, and as I was carrying it in through the door, a piece of it sprang off and chunked a big hole in my wrist. And I was like, blood coming out my wrist, and I felt just like Jesus for a few minutes. But no. Um, the reason I'm showing this to you is it's a good little visual aid, just to remind us, it reminds me of a little story when Jesus appeared after his resurrection with the holes in his hands. And he appeared to a guy called Thomas. And Thomas was, you know the phrase, doubting Thomas. He was a doubting Thomas. You know, he needed real proof that God was real, Jesus was real. And anyway, Jesus was good enough to appear to him. And he showed him his nail marks in his hands. And he said, blessed are you, you know, or you've seen, you believe, but blessed are those who don't see and believe. And Thomas said this phrase. He said, my Lord and my God. And that's a simple phrase, my Lord and my God. And I just want to challenge us, is that what we say this morning? Is he your Lord? Is he your God? Because you might say, well, yeah, of course he is. But the problem with um, sin, what sin has done, and this is probably the worst thing that happened in the Garden of Eden, is that man became his own God. When the devil spoke to Adam and Eve and tempted them, he said, if you eat that fruit, you will be like God. And the devil spoke a bit of truth amidst the lie. People in the Garden of Eden, you may not believe that story, you may say it's a fairy tale, but I want to tell you that the big effect of sin, whatever the exact details were, is that man said, I don't want God as my God. I'm going to be my own Lord and my own God. And they turned their back on him. And God, life does not revolve around you or me. We can often become our own uh, self-centered person. You know, like It's all about me, with a bit of Jesus blue tacked on the side. We are, our lives are meant to be centred on God as our Lord and our God. I know it's pretty obvious. And it's a bit like, and I've said this here before, the old um, scientific discovery, they used to believe that everything revolved around the earth. They used to believe the sun went round the earth, the moon went round the earth, Mars went round the earth, the earth was the centre. A guy called uh, Plato, I think, and others believed this. And then along, along came a man called Copernicus who turned on its head and he said, no, you're completely wrong. He said, everything revolves around the sun. The earth goes around the sun. And he got into a lot of trouble for saying that, but it's true. We know today everything revolves around the sun, the solar system. And that's like a picture of our lives. Our life is designed to revolve around God and Christ, the Lord not around ourselves. So I'm just being very simple, really, although I've given a few examples. Is he God in your life? And have you lost that sense of wow, that sense of awe? Have you lost that wow factor? You know, when you think of Jesus, have you... I've been challenged personally on this. Have you lost the connection that makes you go, my Lord, my God? 
Or have you become familiar? You know, oh yeah, Jesus, he's my buddy. Come along, help me along. Jesus, my mate. You know, or do you fall and worship him? I mean, I've been challenged myself. You know, it's very easy to get busy, get blasé, get familiar, familiarity with God. And you, you go to church, you go through the motions, and really, you've lost that, that fresh touch of him as Lord. And I want to turn you to Revelation, if you've got a Bible, otherwise just listen. Revelation chapter 1, where we read about John, the Apostle, and it's verses 12 of Revelation chapter 1 down to verse 17. Now what I want to say about John is this. He knew the Lord, he was pretty familiar with him, for three years... For three years, John had walked with Jesus on the earth. So, you know, he, and he put his head on Jesus' chest at one point. So he was quite close to the Lord. But then after the resurrection, he had a vision of Jesus, and this is what he saw. Verse 12, it says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash round his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun we've been talking about, shining in all its brilliance. And this is the bit I want you to note. John says this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. It, It knocked the stuffing out of him. You know, what I'm trying to say this morning is have we grown familiar, over familiar with the Lord? Do we have moments in our lives when we get before him in absolute worship? We see him as Lord and God. Or have we grown to, you know, what's the word, long in the tooth? (laughs) Get a bit blasé. You don't pray anymore. You sort of roll out of bed and, yeah, God's my mate. Well, he's not. (laughs) He's God. And this may only apply to me, but I, I just want I can only say what, God has been speaking to me. Let God be God. Now, there are four areas where I believe the Lord's challenged me and hopefully will challenge others. Is, will we let God be God as regards our sin? Um, You see, some people, they, they, they say like, God is my friend, he helps me he blesses me, and that's true. He, he, help, he blesses me, he steers me in the right direction, and that's true. He helps me, he's helping me improve, and that's true. And they like that. But God might be saying to them, forgive that person over there. Forgive them. Forgive them again and again and again and again for my sake. Forgive them. And that bit they don't want to listen to. His fingers in the ears. You know... God's my friend, he blesses me, helps me, but I'm not going to forgive that person. 
not after what they did. And, well, in that case, he's not really your Lord, is he? You see, we do tend to listen sometimes to bits that suit us. And I want to just bring back to you, before I read another scripture, something Pat did. Do you remember last week, Pat did Jesus in the car? Do you remember that? If you were here, he had us all sat at the front. And the car represents our life. The car represents our life. Okay? And Pat did a very funny sketch, which I'm not going to copy. But you see, some people have Jesus in the boot of the car. You know, they let him out on a Sunday morning, come to church, be nice and religious, and then once church is over, right, back in the boot, Jesus. Stick him back in the boot. Sunday's my nice club where I've got friends and I enjoy it. Jesus can come with me on Sunday. But as soon as Sunday's over, back in the boot, Jesus. Put him back in the boot of the car. Now, other, now I'm not saying you're like that. I'm not. Some people have Jesus on the back seat in their life. You know, they kind of... Um, you know, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I pray to him from time to time. He's there with me. I'm still doing my own thing, mostly. Rule my life, but he's there. Then you go up a notch and you get people who have Jesus on the front seat. All right? And then you, know, you think you know where, you, where I'm going with this, don't you? You think I'm going to say, well, you've got to have Jesus in the driving seat. Well, yes, I am going to say that. But this is the key thing. Sometimes he's in the driving seat... But we are the backseat drivers. Jesus is in the driving seat. He's Lord, but I'm the backseat driver. And then when Jesus does something that you don't like, ooh, I've had this happen to me. You know, what if you know, Jesus is in the car, you're, you're sitting there nice and happy, blessed, and then he takes a left turn. You say, where are you going, Jesus? Where are you going? Where, where are you going? And Jesus says, I'm going down the road called forgiving your friend. Don't want to forgive her. <laughs> not going down that road. Come on, turn that way. You sort of become a backseat driver. You know, I've heard someone say this. But... Or you might get another example where Jesus is driving along and he takes a right turn. He starts going down and you're sitting there thinking, where are you going with this? Jesus says, I- I'm going to, I want you to, this is called the road called generosity with your money. Oh, I don't want to be generous. <sighs> backseat, I mean, I don't know, maybe it doesn't apply to you. Have you, have you ever a backseat driver with the Lord? He's leading you one way, and you're like saying, hang on a minute, where are you, what are you doing? <clears throat> but I was challenged this week by something which Tim Keller said. Tim Keller is a preacher in America. He said, he said if, um, if your God never disagrees with you, then maybe you're worshipping not the true God, but an ideal form of yourself. I'll repeat that. He said, if, the, if your God never disagrees with you, then maybe um, you're worshipping not the true God, but maybe an ideal form of yourself. You know, the true God will disagree with you at times. He will go right against what you want. You'll cross out your plans and you won't like it. Like the backseat driver. Um, <clears throat> I think... We need to just be aware that we don't ignore bits of what the Lord might be telling us and just take the bits that suit us. So let me just turn to you a passage in, uh, we can listen to it, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 
where in Jeremiah chapter 36, there was a king, and this king was called um, Jehoiakim, a bit of an odd name, and he didn't really want to listen to what God was saying. Jeremiah wrote down the words of God on a scroll and took it to him to read to him, and he started cutting bits out with a penknife. He was sitting in front of a fire, and he cut out certain bits uh, and, and threw it on the fire. He was being sort of pick and choose with, what, with God's word. It says in Jeremiah 36, the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the hearth in front of him. When the reader had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire. Eventually, the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and his attendants who heard these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Even though Elnathan, Deliah, and Gemariah told the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen. You know, all I'm trying to say really on this first point about sin is, are we really open to God or do we um, just take the bits we want and try and ignore the other bits? If God is saying forgive someone, you have to take him seriously. If God is saying be generous with your money, you have to take him seriously. He has to be Lord. Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. That's the old saying, isn't it? Um, it's so important that we don't deceive ourselves with God. If we say he's Lord, then he wants all of us. That might be a heavy thing to say, but, you know, I, I heard someone say last week, you know, when you think of God, he's not just a nice buddy, although he loves you. You know, you ought to almost need to have a word, beware God. You know the phrase, beware God, because he could upset your plans. They'll be for your absolute best, but, you know, is he God? Is, is God God? Or are we um, just sort of taking our own bits? Right, the second area uh, I'd like to uh, talk about letting God be God is in the area of ministry and service. Um, and again, I want to look at the, in the Old Testament, this time at the life of King David. You see, King David, he assumed that he knew, well, his big problem was he didn't really go to the Lord about how to do things sometimes. He made a massive mistake, King David. Although King David was a man after God's heart, he did so many good things, that he made one big mistake, and that was he did not consult with God at certain times in his life. He kind of became a bit familiar, a bit like, yeah, well, you know, God will help us. We're the people of Israel. It's all right. And he thought he could get the Ark of God, which was a box with um, angels on it and inside with the Ten Commandments. He thought he could get the Ark of God and just take it back to Jerusalem. It had been stolen by the enemy, the Philistines. And he didn't consult God in the work of God. He just sort of, what he, what he actually did was, if I read it, he consulted with his leaders. That's all he did. It says in 1 Chronicles 13... David consulted with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds. And then in verse 3 of chapter 13 of 1 Chronicles, David said, after consulting with them, let us bring the ark of our God back. For we never used to inquire of it during the reign of King Saul, 
And everyone agreed to do this because it seemed right. And you know the story. When he got the ark, King David, he didn't consult God how to do it. He did it thinking, we're the people of Israel. I'm the king. God will bless us. God will bless what I'm doing. It's all right. And so he just went ahead without consulting the Lord. And I'm very wary of this because, you know, we have plans in our church. You know, we, we're planning to do healing on the streets. We're planning to do things. And I, I'm very aware that I want to be listening to God and not just have a bright idea and go and do it. Because God is God. And he has the right to stop the work. He doesn't have to bless everything we do. But if we consult with him and seek his face, then yes. And you know what happened when David tried to take the ark to Jerusalem. It says in verse 7 of chapter 13 of 1 Chronicles, it says, They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and harps and lyres and tambourines, cymbals and trumpets. You know, it looked so great. It looked like it was all fine. It was God's, you know, it was brilliant, you know, the work of God. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he'd put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah and to this day that place is called the outbreak against Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him into the city of David. Instead, he took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom for three months. The Lord blessed his house and everything he had. So in this story, you've got God saying, I'm the Lord of the work. You didn't consult me, David. And he had to do something quite drastic. I'm not going to explain all the reasons why Uzzah had to die, but it had an effect because when Uzzah died, it brought about a revival of holiness in the nation because they realised they had been treating God's ark, blasé, and not treating it as the, the very throne of God. And by that public example, it brought back a revival of holiness among the nation. They started to do things properly again in God's order. And if you go to chapter 15... David does it this time. He says, right, we're going to do it properly this time. And he says, um, he gets all the Levites, who are the people who are supposed to carry the ark, together. And it says in chapter 15, uh, verse 13, to all these Levites, he says, it was because you did not carry it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. I don't know why I'm saying this. I just feel to say, is he Lord over all our, you know, sin? The areas that he's challenging. Are we listening or are we not listening? Is he Lord over the way we do ministry, the way we do work? Are we listening? Are we consulting him? 
on the way forward, and I'm very challenged by that myself. Because it's very easy to assume that once God's done something one way, he'll always do it that way. And you just go into auto, autopilot instead of coming to God. You know, Oswald Chambers, a great man of God, he said that once God has done something one way, he will probably, and you become certain that that's the way God's going to do it, he probably will never do it that way again. <laughs> We've got to leave room for God to come as he chooses. We've got to make elbow room for God. Um, we must expect God to come, but not in a fixed way. We have to be open to how he comes as he chooses. However he wants to come, he can come. He's God. He's God of the work. Don't say God must do it like this, this and this. He may not. And I love how David, after this terrible incident when Uzzah died, David, he kind of, you know, once bitten, twice shy, he learnt the lesson. Because then he had to go to battle against the Philistines. He had to fight them two times in battle. And the first time, he didn't just go off into battle. Yeah, we're the people of Israel, like he might have done. It says in chapter 14, which uh, is between the, the two incidents about the ark, he'd already learnt his lesson. And it says this. The Philistines came and raided the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of God, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord answered him, Go, and I will hand them over to you. So David and his men went to Baal-perazim and defeated them. See, he'd learnt to be dependent on God as the Lord of the work and not just assume and be familiar. And you would think, you know, maybe he could get blasé after that victory and think, well, we... Let's do that again. And the Philistines came a second time. And it says here, the Philistines again raided the valley, so David again inquired of God. And God answered him, do not go straight up this time, but circle round them and attack them from the rear by the trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the top of the trees, move out to battle, because that will mean God has gone in front of you to strike the Philistines. So, my second simple point is, are we going to come before the Lord in all the works we do, all the ministries, and say, Lord, I'm going to inquire of you about this, and, you know, because God has the right, if he's God, he has the right to change it, he's the right to halt it, he's the right to discipline it. That's just something that challenged me. The third area... I've only got two more, you'd be happy to know. The third area about um, letting God be God is in terms of your gifting and your, the way you serve the Lord. Um, I don't know if any of you struggle with the way you feel God has gifted you. You might look at others and think, they've got ten talents or you know, ten gifts, and look at me, I've, you know, I'm struggling with one. You might, I don't know if you ever feel like that. Um, well, we have to come to the place where we say God is God in the way he's gifted people. And we must get rid of this idea that God treats everyone equally. This is what challenged me. God does not treat everyone equally. You think, oh, but, 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 but surely he does. No, 
He's very fair, he's righteous and just, and there was always a reason, but we often fail to spot the reason. We fail to spot the reason why someone's got one gift and another person's got ten. But it's a truth. There are, I know somebody, I'm not going to name him, he's Pat's best mate, he's got loads of gifts. And you can look at this person and think, they've got loads of gifts. And you can look at someone else or yourself and think, I haven't got that many gifts. But I want to tell you this, God does not treat people equally. But the person who's got one gift, God may use in a very particular way that the person with ten cannot be used. There is a justice and a fairness. But God does not treat people equally in terms of gifting. Um, And he has his reasons. And it's not because he's mean. It's because there are reasons that we often don't see. Um, But I suppose what I'm trying to say is, have you come to the place where you say, Lord, you are God of my gifts? Rather than looking at someone else and whinging and moaning and going, and sulking, you know, even in the story I told you about the ark, I mean, God didn't treat people equally. One man got slain, Udza. The other man, where they put the ark, got blessed. So that's not fair, is it? Kill one, bless another. <laughs> but, you know, God is God. Will we trust him? Will we surrender to him? Um, and maybe you feel... And this is something that spoke to me. I'm being pretty raw this morning. Maybe you feel that in your gifting, God's limited you a bit. You feel a bit limited in your limitation. You might feel limited. Um, well, let me tell you a story about a man who God limited him. And he, actually, he was again King David. You think, well, he was a king. Surely he had everything. Well, No. God limited King David because King David wanted to build the temple. He wanted to build the temple for God. He wanted to get all the. He wanted to be the one who built the temple. And he went to um, one of the prophets called Nathan, and he said, "You know, the Ark of God. It's in a tent. I want to build it a temple." And Nathan said, "Go for it. Do whatever's in your heart." So David got all excited, and then as he was about to build the temple, God broke in and said to him, "You shall not be the one." who builds the temple. But your son, your son Solomon, shall build the temple. You won't, because you shed lots of blood on the earth. Now David, well, he could have, God limited him by saying, you're not going to be the one to build the temple. Now what could David have done? He could have sulked. He could have sulked. He could have said, well, that's not fair, I'm the king. He could have... um, What I'm trying to say to you is if God limits you in your circumstances or in your gifts or whatever, it's possible to go to a place of sulking, a place of uh, bitterness where you no longer listen to God. Whereas what David actually did is amazing. David said, okay, Lord, you've limited this. I'm still going to serve you as best I absolutely can. And he started to prepare materials for the temple, not that he could use, but for his son. It says uh, in the Bible, you see, it doesn't say he went and sulked when God put a limit on him. It says this, David said, I had it in my heart to build a house for the Lord my God, but the word of the Lord came to me. You've shed much blood and fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you've shed much blood on the earth, but you will have a son who will be a man of peace 
and I will give him rest from all his enemies. His name will be Solomon, and then it, later on it says, he is the one who will build a house for my name. And then you read later on in the chapter, David says to um, some of his servants, he says, I have provided for the temple a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed. I have gathered wood and stone, and you have now many workmen, stonecutters, masons and carpenters. He basically, despite his limitation, he said, I'm still going to give absolutely everything to God that I can. And I will encourage you, if you feel limited, you feel like you've only got one gift, not ten, Please give yourself 100% to the Lord. Pour your gifting out. Do everything you can. Don't go, and go in a corner and switch off and say, well, it's not fair, is it? David still gave and served despite his limitation. Um, and the last little area where I would say we have to come to God and believe God is God is in the very basic area of our circumstances. It's very easy to look at your circumstances and to let them get on top of you. Our circumstances are not meant to get on top of us. You know, that's easy for you to say, Simon. But <laughs> they're not. Um, our circumstances are meant to be a bit like a mattress. You know, what do you do with a mattress? Do you put it on top of you or do you lie on top of it? You lie on top of it, don't you, unless you're weird like Patrick. Um, but <laughs> you, our circumstances are, are not meant to get on top of us. You are not really responsible, ultimately, for your circumstances. You, yeah, partly you might be to blame for the things you did or whatever, consequences. But you are not ultimately responsible for your circumstances. God can change circumstances in the twinkling of an eye if he chooses. But you are responsible for how you let them affect you. Will you let them get on top of you? Or will you let God allow them to transform you into what God is wanting you to be? Will you let God be God in your circumstances? Or will you let them come on top of you and rather than allowing them to transform you into what God wants you to become? Um, I just think of two people, uh, one you've probably heard of, one you probably haven't heard of. These are two Christians, right? Um, one is called uh, Joni. I don't know if you've heard of Joni Erickson. She's a quadriplegic in a, in a wheelchair. Um, and when she was 18, she prayed a prayer. She prayed, Lord, I want to come really close to you. I want to be really close to you. That's what, that was her prayer. She said, Lord, I want to know you really well. And then she went swimming. She dived off a boat into some shallow water and broke her spine. And she was paralyzed from the neck down. And of course, she was absolutely angry with God for a long time, saying, you know, I prayed to be close to you and you break my neck. <laughs> don't worry, I don't think God's necessarily going to do that to you today. Um, <laughs> but the point is, she said, I, I could either scream at God and hate him and scream at him and kick at him, or I could find God in my circumstance. Because, you know, there are some pretty evil circumstances, aren't there? Let's be honest. I mean, 
They asked Joni, they asked her what, she said, how, they asked her, how would, you, how would you describe this circumstance? She said, it's like hell. It's like splashes of hell coming onto me, this being paralyzed in a wheelchair. And then someone said to her, well, how would you describe heaven? She said, well, there's two kinds of heaven. There's heaven when you die, but there's another kind of heaven. It's when you find Jesus in the splashes from hell. She said, I've found the preciousness of Jesus in my bad circumstances much more precious than if I'd had everything, walk, if I'd been walking around, if I'd been a nice, pretty young lady walking around. She said, I've come so close to Christ through this. She said, I, in some ways, she even said this, I wouldn't trade what's happened. Um, I know it's easy to say this, but, you know, when you go through a real trial... If you, are, if you will find God as God of your circumstance, you can find him absolutely precious in that trial and you can see him in a way that other people will never see. Think of Daniel's friends. They got thrown into a fiery furnace by some mad king in the Bible. And when they were in the fiery furnace, they didn't die. God kept them. They found a fourth one in the fire, which was Jesus, in the fire. So... I just wanted to encourage you, when you go through a difficulty, to find God as the God in your circumstances. And I think Joni Erickson, she's, a, she's been a paraplegic now for, I don't know, 40-odd years. I think the same age as me, 40. I'm, how old am I? 47, yeah. She's been a paraplegic for, since about 1969. Um, <clears throat> now, that is quite extreme, <laughs> But I just wanted to encourage you that God wants to be God in these four areas this morning. He wants to be God, you know, will we listen to him over areas of our life that maybe we, up till now, have put our fingers in our ears and said, you know, I'm not listening to that. Will we listen to him in terms of the ministry we do as God? You know, he's got the right to change the way we do. Do we inquire of him? Thirdly, will we listen to him about our gifting you know, recognize that there, there is a purpose. And fourthly, will we listen to him when we go through real circumstances? And I want to finish by telling you a story of one guy you probably haven't known. Um, he's got the same surname as me, Tucker. Uh, his name is Joseph Tucker. I've actually got a nephew called Joseph Tucker, but he's only like 14. This guy uh, was alive in the 1960s. Has anyone ever heard of the missionary Joseph Tucker? No. <laughs> Well, I'm going to just tell you a story about a circumstance that happened to him, which was pretty awful. He actually was martyred. And then I want to just tell you what they discovered afterwards. Uh, he was uh, in the Congo, and the, um, he was been a missionary in the Congo for 20-odd years. And he had been a you know, faithful little missionary there. And then one day there was the Congo Civil War, you know, 1964. And he was captured by the Congolese rebels and they decided that they would kill him because he was Westerner. And the way he died was horrific. Uh, it took 45 minutes to die. Um, he was beaten with bottles. And they just, they, so they, people heard him screaming and stuff. It was a horrible way to die. And they took his body and they threw it in a river. The Bomakande River with crocodiles in it and apparently he was eaten by crocodiles. I mean, what a nice way to go as a missionary, eh? Anyone want to become missionaries? I work for a missionary company. 
If you want to come and join, we've got plenty of vacancies. <laughs> now you could say, well, where was God in all that? His wife, Mrs. Tucker, not Karina, um, she sought God because obviously she's heartbroken, but she felt that peace, there was peace. That God, there was a reason. But she didn't know for years the reason, but there was peace. Anyway, the story goes like this. There was a tribe in Zaire, which is not far from the Congo. Is it, or is it the same place? Zaire. Anyway, Zaire is the country called the, uh, let me get this right, the Mangbitu tribe. They had various villages, and they were real pagans. They had their own little African gods, and they were very, very anti the gospel. Uh, a famous missionary called C.T. Studd went there in the 1800s and tried to tell them about Jesus, and they basically, he had no fruit. And C.T. Studd was an amazing guy. He had no fruit, he got fed up, and he left them to their own devices. When the Congo Civil War happened, this Mangbitu tribe started to get worried because there was this war going on. So they called the government of the Congo and said, can you please send the army to help us? And so the Congo sent the army, but they really just sent a group of advisors more than anything because they didn't have lots of soldiers. And one of the soldiers that went to help this tribe was a brigadier. And the brigadier had been led to faith in Christ by Joseph Tucker, who'd been murdered. Okay? Bear with me. The brigadier turns up to this tribe, which has always rejected God. And the brigadier is a Christian, and he tries to witness to them. This is a true story. He tries to witness to these, the leaders and elders of the Mangbitu tribe, and they just don't want to listen. They say, we've got our own gods, thank you. And then he discovered that in their culture, they've had a proverb. It was in their, pro in their culture, a proverb, which was for centuries old, and it said this. If ever a man's blood is shed in your river, you must listen to his story. If ever a man's blood is shed in your river, you must listen to his story. He found this proverb in their culture. And so a couple of weeks later, he went to them, this brigadier, and he said, you've got a saying in your culture about a man's blood being shed in your river, the Bomakande River. Well, I knew that man. And I know his story. Can I tell it to you? And they said, well, yes. If, if, it's, if his blood was shed in our river, we must listen to this story. So they all gathered, all the elders and all the tribes people, and they listened his story, and his story was the story of the gospel. So the brigadier told them again the gospel, and he said, this story is what that man preached. And there's lots of eyewitnesses that apparently the effect was electric. Uh, many of the elders started to weep, and apparently if you go to that area today in Zaire, there are 50 churches in that area which came out of the death of a missionary. And the wife of Joseph Tucker found out, and eventually she, she declared, you know, God was God in that. Because those people would never get saved. It needed something drastic. Now, I don't think that's expected of you, but, you know, do you believe God is God in these things? I would like us to do a prayer now. I'm going to stop. Hey. <laughs> A prayer on committing ourselves to God as our Lord and God. It's a written down prayer. I'm going to hand it out. I'm going to be a bit weird and different today. We're going to be a bit Anglican. And we're going to read it out together. And I would like you to read it out aloud with me. If you don't mean this prayer, don't pray it. 
But if you mean what's written on this prayer, I want you to pray it out loud when I say it, okay? Okay, so I could give that to you. So... Um, I don't know if it's possible afterwards to sing a song. Is it? Uh, it's um, all to Jesus. You know that one, that chorus. Uh, I surrender yeah, all. To right. So if you want to pray this prayer, otherwise you can just quietly follow. But I, I'm just telling you, I've prayed this prayer. It's quite a scary thing to pray, but you can trust God is 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 going to look after you, and He's God and Lord of your life. So let's just pray this prayer. If you want to say it after me, then please repeat it after me. You can say it as I say it, okay? I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Amen. So if you prayed that and meant it, then God's heard you. Okay. We're going to sing. Uh